Hello, Hive Nation, and welcome back to the Hive Nation podcast. Each week, we have leading experts in personal and professional development share their journeys and expertise to help you connect, engage, grow, and evolve. Here's JB to introduce today's guest. Hey, thanks, Rick. Uh, today, we have uh, Mr. Tyler argue with us. Uh, I met Tyler a little while ago, and uh, he's an interesting cat. Uh, president and CEO of a company called Westbridge Ventures Canada LP. And... Uh, Tyler does a lot of risk risk management, and we'll get into that. I'll let him explain it because, uh, yeah. But uh, uh, but Tyler has his has his fingers in it and does some really cool stuff. So Tyler, uh, welcome to the podcast, and thanks for being here. Thank you. Yeah, you yeah, bet. Nice, nice being here. Uh, we're obviously on location, uh, so this is a uh, a shared space that uh, Tyler got for us. So thanks, Tyler. <laughs> Uh, so, why don't you tell us your journey into how you got into entrepreneurship and how you got into you, how you started, where you are, who you're at, and sure. where where we at today? Yeah, absolutely. Um, how much time you got? <laughs> as much time as you need. <laughs> no. Um, so yeah, I, I'm originally from New Brunswick, and uh, um, I started out actually. I, I always say my my journey to risk management started out on a fire department. I was a volunteer firefighter. And uh, I got kind of that uh, little, you know, taste in my mouth for, you know, that urgency and, and, and critical situation type, type stuff. So um, joined a volunteer fire department back in New Brunswick. Uh, absolutely loved it. Loved helping people. Loved loved being in the moment and and just you know that critical thinking kind of uh, situation. And and uh, eventually uh, took my associate's degree in paramedicine uh, in the United States. I'm from a border town, so. Uh, took my associate's degree in paramedicine, and um, again, just that uh, feeling of helping people and and uh, working through those critical situations. Um, eventually, found my way, uh, joined the RCMP in uh, 2009, and so anyway, long story short, in 20, uh, 2013, I got back into uh, oil and gas, worked for Enbridge Pipelines, and uh, did uh, pipeline for a little bit up in Hardesty, Central Alberta. And uh, as, I, as I was saying uh, in the lead up there before, uh, when, when oil and gas went kind of bust in 2016, you know, I was at a crossroads in my career and was like, you know, what am I going to do? Um, you know, essentially you always fall back on, uh, you know, what you're most comfortable with, what you're, you're most confident in and, and competent in. And so that for me, that was investigations. And so, yeah, I joined a, a firm here in Calgary and started doing surveillance, did surveillance investigation. and. Worked my way f uh, from there into special investigations unit and started doing more of the, rather than just surveillance work, started doing um, corporate fraud, white collar crime, and uh, more more of the SIU type investigative work for insurance companies and corporate uh, litigation support and that type of thing. And uh, yeah, the rest is history. Um, been working in that industry since <coughs> since then, and it's it's treated me very well. So I've, like during November, I grew a mustache and yeah. I always got mistaken for Tom Selleck, right? And so Magnum <laughs> PI. So if I wanted to be a, a PI, a private yeah. investigator, could I? Absolutely. I could. Yeah. Oh, but without any type of background in, in law enforcement. Oh yeah, absolutely. Like for, for myself, I mean, I, when I applied for my private investigations license, I was grandfathered in because of the previous RCMP training, but um, today, if you wanted, if somebody like yourself wanted to become a private investigator, you would take a course through Columbia College or, or Bow Valley College here in Calgary. And uh, as long as you got a good uh, criminal record check 
and you pass the private investigative uh, course or the, the criteria here in Alberta. Um, it's, it's, it's kind of funny that you, that you went there because in the territories, and obviously, uh, you know, I, I do a lot of work up in anybody that knows me and follows me on Twitter and any of the socials that I've got, I spend a lot of time up in the territories. Up there, you don't need a security license and you don't need a PI license. You can just wake up in the morning and be like, I'm Tom Selleck today. So, <laughs> <laughs> interesting. Very interesting. never guess that. Yeah, no. yeah and, and, and here in Alberta, you know, you, you've got to have everything passed through the Solicitor General and, and uh, you know, there's, there's protocol for everything here in Alberta, right? Even for security, right? You, you've got to have your, your patch on your sleeves uh, has to be approved and, and, you know, you submit all that into the government. They, they say yay or nay and, and then you're, you're open for business. You have to license as a, an investigative agency and, and so on. Um, so yeah, there's, there's, a few, there's a few small things that you would have to do to, to get into it. Um, and I wouldn't recommend doing that, by the way. Like I wouldn't recommend just anybody wanting to get into it out of curiosity. I think you, you have to have a curious nature. You have to have a, a drive for investigations mm -hmm. in order to get into it. I mean, we see people all the time <coughs> come into the industry, you know, out of university. They want something to do to keep them, keep them going. And they think that this is a good line of work that they would like to get into leading up to policing, and it is. And that's typically where we start developing those skills for people that are getting into policing, right? And, uh, you know, mentoring over the last few years, other people that have come in through the company and have gone on to Winnipeg Police and so on and so forth, I've kind of come up with this analogy that you're either the fisherman or the hunter, right? And surveillance is very much you're following people, right? Whether it's an insurance claim and you're watching for bodily injury and, and body movement and that sort of thing, it's very passive. You're watching people mm -hmm. from a distance and observing their lifestyle while they're in public view where an actual investigation on the other side of it, the special investigative unit, where you're chasing down something, you're looking for answers, you're trying to get people to cooperate and you have to interview people and get statements, etc. You have to be the hunter. And a lot of people, you're one or the other and you have, a lot of times you have, uh, you find people that are, they don't fit the both molds very well, if you know what I mean, yep. right? You're either that passive kind of watch from a distance or the aggressive kind of, digging and you know kind of a dog in a bone type personality yeah and so yeah for me I did that transition fairly well I think and uh, but yeah if, if you're if you're curious and you have a inquisitive mindset I think it'd be a good line okay last question can I carry a Glock <laughs> absolutely not <laughs> <laughs> okay well I'm not doing that then I'm not uh, there's no PI in this guy's future yeah, if, you, if, you, if you need a Glock as a private investigator in, in Canada you're doing something wrong. <laughs> Damn it. All right, well, it's not James Bond. No, absolutely not. Yeah. And it's funny because I've had so many people throughout my career that have come in with all these, you know, silly analogies like, you know, 007 and all this yeah, kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah. And it's nothing like that. You know, honestly, it's, it's, um, it can be boring work. I'm not going to lie. Like, you know, the forensic accounting and, different type of audits that we do. It's, there's nothing um, glamorous about it. And then you get it yourself into other investigations where it's like, wow, I can't believe I get paid to do this. Yeah. So yeah, you, 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 take, you take on every file differently and then you assess them. And, and I think for me, that's what I like about it. Hmm. A little bit of ADHD, maybe, I don't know. Yeah. Um, but I just love the difference in, in tone of work from so, day to day. 
We talked about like risk management, like you're, that's what gets you up in the morning. Yeah. So the people who are listening today, what would you say risk management is? Uh, yeah, so again, risk management is, it's a pretty big word, right? So our slogan on our company is business risk solutions. And simply, we, so there's four stages of risk management. You can either accept the risk, you can deter the risk, you can avoid the risk, or you can transfer the risk. And so insurance policy, for an example, that would be a good, um, that, that would be a kind of a good example of transferring that risk. You're transferring that to an insurance company, right? So if, if your vehicle is stolen or something like that, or if you suffer a loss, um, essentially insurance is a pool of money for a rainy day. And hopefully we all don't have, you know, submitted claims on the same day or we're going to see problem in insurance premiums and that sort of thing. So, um, so yeah, you know, that's an example of, you know, transferring that risk. You can mitigate the risk, put as many mitigative uh, steps in place. And it all depends on what your risk is, right? You have to do in a risk assessment and then you kind of go into figuring out what you want to do with that. Um, you can avoid the risk and not go into, say, if a business is looking at going into a certain line of business, there's going to be a, a risk associated with that, especially the security side of our business. That's huge risk for us. You'd pay higher insurance premiums for that, for your employees. Um, there's a huge, there's a, there's a greater risk of our employees being injured on the job. So as a business, as a business owner, you're, you're constantly analyzing for your own risk, but also for other companies as well. So yeah, so I guess to boil it back to your conversation, back to your question there, it's those four uh, key pieces, those four elements of risk management that we look at. Super cool. So give me another example of a, of a higher risk business out there that you would, you know, come into and do give a consultation on as yeah. to whether, I don't, I don't know how much, we talked about cyber before we came on, we, you know, yeah. with the blockchain, but I don't know how much you do that on the cyber side of it or, yeah. you know, so name a company that is a little bit higher or not necessarily the company name, but a yeah. industry that's a little higher risk than you would. Yeah, sure. So <clears throat> some of the higher kind of higher end of risk stuff that we look at is, Information security. It's obviously part of the part and parcel for cybersecurity, but information security, uh, typically law firms, uh, publicly traded companies, healthcare companies for sure. Any, any company that is transacting with personal information, sensitive information, that may have uh, somebody's um, banking information, healthcare information, right? When, you're, when, you have that, when you have that information, there's a level of responsibility on you as an organization and even the directors and officers of that company to ensure that you are, uh, you know, adhering to as, as sound uh, principles and, and uh, standards in information security, which in my view is the ISO 27001, which is a global standard. And so as a lead implementer, um, you know, our company goes in and, and implements the framework for an information security management system, ISMS. And uh, yeah, we help reduce that risk for companies. They're in cyber. I mean, it's it's a changing game on a daily mm -hmm. basis, right? So there's always going to be a risk at some degree, um, but it definitely that's a good example of reducing <clears throat> the risk. Having a good information security management system, which is essentially and it's boring as heck, but essentially it's just a good platform that we implement that assigns accountability throughout the organization and at each uh, level of access for that key information. Who has access to it, where is it stored, that type of stuff. Gotcha. Yeah. Hmm. In a nutshell. How much how much harder is it 
in today's world that you know we have technology at the tip of our fingers like a health uh, company storing health files medical files 20 30 years ago how much has that risk increased to today is there even a number on it or is it even is just insurmountable yeah (laughs) jeez I wasn't expecting those types of questions. <laughs> what, no. you think we're just some schmucks from Saskatchewan? <laughs> oh, yeah. wait. Uh, technically, <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. Um, I don't think there would be anybody out there that would argue that it's easier to access information today. Um, part of our private investigative uh, services is doing open source intelligence and you know, finding information that's freely available on the web and, and in uh, dark spaces. And so... I'm not saying that there's healthcare information out there that's that's that readily available, but uh, you can you're seeing hackers, you're seeing different uh, you know as we get safer and secure as we think, those types of people and those abilities are also following us and getting smarter too, mm-hmm. right? So, um, but information is uh, if you look at the cloud, right? Like we're all operating on you know either G Suite or or some sort of cloud. Um, mechanisms that that in itself is you know grown substantially since what did you say 30 years ago so yeah 30 years I mean I mean I'm 38 going back to when I was a kid like I can still hear the the internet dialing up (laughs) exactly yeah I'm I'm young and but old enough to remember uh, how that sounded so I don't think you know even when I was a kid there was anything like what we're operating on today and looking forward I mean with quantum computing and the rest of it like you know, within the next 10 years, it's just mind-blowing where mm. we're going to be with quantum and AI. How and, safe is AI? Oh, God, here's another. Jeez, uh, honestly, you guys never told me about it. <laughs> <coughs> no, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> we're curious. You, We talked about this off camera. You have to be curious. So maybe we are good for PI. You, yes. <laughs> yeah, you guys know. You guys would definitely. <laughs> How safe is AI? Shit. Yeah, I don't know. I, I think that it's uh, still being developed, right? I, th- I think I I will be just open and honest. I use it mm-hmm. <laughs> on a you know on a fairly often basis. Yeah. Um, does it make your work easier? Absolutely. You Absolutely. can go out and you can get you know marketing. Um, you can get you know there's different platforms out there that we use and we subscribe to and we pay for that uh, make our office um, more manageable and easier. Or, you know that those mundane tasks that you would have to do. So, you know, I think that's fairly relatively safe. Um, I think, you know, there's a probably an issue with, you know, plagiarism in, in, in the education sector, I think is where I would see, you know, the, the biggest threat right now. And then obviously there's, you know, other issues that are gonna stem out of that. So I don't know, I, I don't think it's hopefully that safe right now, I guess to boil it down to a solid question. I don't really think that we've, we're still developing it. How have we been able to secure it? I don't think that's because mm-hmm. it's not it's not new. Last year, it's been around for fourteen years now, yeah. right? Or almost, right? Right. So, you know, over fourteen years, it's got to be developed somewhat, right? There has to be some sort True. of framework designed yeah. behind it, right? Right. But now you're looking at like if you just noticed in the news here, just even since the holidays, where um, you know Microsoft is being sued and. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're being sued by what is it, the the New York Post, I believe, or New New York Times. Um, but anyway, they're being sued because um, th- essentially, I think this is the best quote that I've heard about AI is this a- this 
this organization has claimed that AI is not recreating anything that's new, period. It is simply just making it organized in an organized manner and spitting it back to you uh, upon request. And the, the better request that you give it and the prompts, and I've got a good cheat sheet if you want, I'll slide it to you later. Please. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you know, you can, you can give chat GPT-4 a, a really good prompt and uh, you can hone that prompt a little bit. You can tweak it. You can modify it a little tiny bit. And based on, on that, even you'll get different you know, results. Yeah, results exactly. So um, I don't know if it's secure. I, I personally <coughs> haven't seen any great security with it. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Yeah. But again, in risk management, I I've lived by this saying that chaos is a precursor to change, mm -hmm. and I truly believe that sometimes because we're human, <laughs> we need some sort of chaos to happen, mm -hmm. right, before we implement change. And, and I think that, unfortunately, you'll see something happen where, you know, the government will come in and start mandating different security measures for it. Yeah, it, it can't see forward, so, you know, like it, all it does is take the existing information exactly. and yeah. organize it. Like you said, that's a good way of yeah. putting it, actually. Yeah, there was this article that I was reading about this lawsuit against Microsoft, and I found that really super interesting that essentially their argument was, you know, we've created these news articles from, you know, our own resources and, and research and, and research, exactly. And why should this company be able to just, you know, make money off of what we've created? And who knows, I'm not a legal scholar by no means, but I mean that one would think they, they'd have some sort of argument yeah. there. Mm -hmm. And given Microsoft's response to that, makes you think they do too. <laughs> it was a pretty watered down defense of, uh, yeah, we want to work together. <laughs> one, of the, one of those corporate uh, you know, responses. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So you mentioned uh, like risk assessment in, within risk management, which I'm assuming is a large part of it. How do you, when, when a business comes to you guys, what like scale do you have where they're, oh yeah, you're risking way too much or maybe you're too safe and you're not, you know, high enough on that scale. Mm -hmm. Can you touch on that? Yeah. So, um, again, all depends on the business that comes to us, whether it's, you know, um, a law firm or, uh, an organization here in Calgary versus, you know, a diamond mine in the territories. Um, I mean, you know, that's one extreme to another, but mm. it's a good example of different variations of the level of risk in the, in the different organizations and verticals that we work in. Um, I tend not to tell the client a whole lot. I, I tend to more take the position of an advisor and just tell them, here's, here's the risk assessment based on what you've given us and that, that information that we're privy to in your organization. And, um, you know, looking at this, the you know, holistically, their their current risk measures. Most organizations, when they come to us for an assessment, they would already have something in place, and we would look and do what's called a gap assessment. So we would, if it's information security, a quick gap assessment, looking at nonconformities and different things that they may not have adapted to or um, brought in as as measures for information security. But on the other side of it, um, yeah, it. I, I can't think of any that I've said, you know, yeah, this is too much risk. Like, typically, they would know that on their own. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right? Uh, and, and maybe that's just not common sense. That's just, I've never seen one where I've been like, you know, well, you know, I think this is 
too much. Um, but yeah, we, we do give them a level of, you know, that we think that this is, you know, kind of, you want, you want to bring in other measures and, and, and we'll recommend those measures. I can't give you any examples right off the top of my head, but I mean, we would recommend looking at their line of business, what they're into. Um, we would, we would do that research for them and in, in concert with them and, uh, kind of advise them. But at the end of the day, it's, it's up to them to, to put those measures in place. Um, you probably wouldn't know the answer to this uh, exact numbers, but what percentage of companies have people who infiltrate their information from inside, not necessarily hackers outside that we talk about hackers, but from inside the company? Yeah, it's funny that you mentioned that because that's actually your greatest threat. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, it is, I think. I think that uh, organizations are, are, you know, their own weakest link. Um, I've seen cybersecurity companies, even locally here, that you know they fly the banner of cybersecurity and, and unfortunately have zero anything, any any kind of measures protecting themselves. And, and uh, you know I've I've worked with a few like that where it, it scares the bejeebies out of me because you know I think it's super important in in risk management. If you're a risk management firm whether it's cyber or it's security or a simple basic risk management, I think you really truly have to walk the walk and talk the talk. And, and um, you know, it, it's disappointing to see, you know, there, there's such an insurgence of cybersecurity companies over the last five, 10 years, and then you, you start peeling some of them back and it's uh, basic as basic can get and you start looking at what they're doing to protect themselves mm -hmm. and their end client and you find out that it, there's nothing, mm -hmm. right? Like they're they're operating on, you know, just willy-nilly kind of systems and not really uh, putting any kind of information security in their own practice. How, how, are, how are you supposed to advise other companies when you don't even take, you know, uh, ownership over your own risk, right? Like, so, yeah, kind of unfortunate, but. Internally, is it, like, it's sometimes as simple if we, look elsewhere from the systems that could be put in place to communication within a team like internally a lot of teams uh the bigger the firm they're just people in boxes in the in the outside in the cubicles they don't yeah. know each other so is, right. that, is that a cause of that too where there's just yep. a lack of communication from the top down yeah absolutely and that's funny enough what an isms or an information security management system does right out of the gate is it, it assigns all the way to the CEO, the president, CEO, or if you have a board of, of directors, it even encompasses them. And you, what we do is we typically go in, we do a gap assessment, we look at where they are, what they have, and I've seen companies where I've gone in and done a gap assessment and there's literally zero, other than they have a lock for the front door. <laughs> uh, but outside of that, um, yeah, it, it, it assigns that responsibility if you're coming to me and you're going to pay me thousands of dollars to build an ISMS so that you can either become compliant with ISO 27001 or you can become accredited where you actually have to be audited mm. and pass the audit to become accredited, um, it assigns the CEO president first. That's the first meeting, right? You have to have their ownership, their buy-in uh, before you go any further. Otherwise, it's just a waste of time, right? And it'll never work. It, it, it'll simply never work. You'll get exactly what he mentioned is those silos and so those two two big threats within a business is either siloed information from either departments that are that aren't speaking or talking because they are in in different um, areas 
Um, now, obviously, we have insert COVID and work from home. So now we have even more siloed information, more information that's being put on the cloud so we can work from home. Uh, what <coughs> programs are they working off of? Are they simply going off of their own home Wi-Fi? I mean, this is a huge topic, and, and, and I think it's a huge topic that I think organizations need to start taking a bit, a bit more serious. Um, but yeah, I've seen, I've seen organizations that are walking into that blindly and thinking that nothing will ever happen to them, right? And then, uh, unfortunately, down the road, when, when it does happen, we get called in as, as the more of a, um, a response mechanism, where if, you know, we would hope that we would be brought in uh, you know, as a consultant on, on, the, on the other side of that, that uh, response. So yeah, you either have the silos or you have the malicious um, mm. employee that's, you know, I, I've done surveillance on people that have, uh, you know, been, I won't say accused, but been under suspicion for inside trading secrets, right? And we're talking like publicly traded company type of stuff. And so, yeah, chair of the board, maybe be, uh, you know, sharing inside uh, trading information on oil and gas, um, you name it. It was actually one of my, one of my, uh, in my first year of surveillance actually was, was one of those types of files where, you know, I had to follow somebody around. It was actually local to Calgary. And uh, so, yeah, that information security, it's either, you know, siloed information, there's maybe no malicious intent, it's, it's simply just human nature. Or on the flip side of it, you have a rogue employee who's planning to leave your company or is disgruntled or has an MO against the organization, or it could be somebody else and they identify mm -hmm. Joe Blow as the weak link in your company and they target that person, mm -hmm. right? And uh, you're, you're on your way home and you leave your car unlocked and all your computer information is mm -hmm. in there. Like, so yeah, there's, there's a ton of different ways a hacker or somebody can get into your organization through employees that are working remotely. So those, those three uh, are the big pieces that I would say that's that's interesting because that's just within like a corporation setting yeah, or like yeah. a company setting. Right. I just uh, I just recently read the 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 memoir on how the FBI and the CIA were working against each other in nine eleven. Oh really? What? Seriously? Is that right? Yeah, this whole report came out recently about how the CIA and the FBI were working against each other. Wow. During nine eleven. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, and Crazy. they actually there's a, there's a documentary out of on it right now, as a matter of fact. Yeah, you have to send it to me. I, yeah, I, I love reading that kind of stuff. Yeah, I do yeah. too. Yeah, that's that's. You know, you take it from that scale you know, where you have where you yeah. have the people who are supposed to right. be doing that. You know, right. exactly working against yeah. each other. Yeah. You know, so yeah. if you were brought into a situation like that, yeah. how, where would you even start with that? Oh my gosh, I don't know. Yeah, that's that's. A, I'll tell, you, I'll, I'll tell you, I'll tell you, I'll tell you, I'll answer this for yeah. you. Tom. First thing what you do is you put your Glock on the table. Yeah. Oh yeah, we're well, back to the Glock again. That's yeah, what, yeah. that means you mean business. That's right. And Absolutely. then you get down to the conversation. Absolutely. <laughs> well, you say you're Tom Stellick and then you put your Glock on the table. So, right. Well, you see my mind. So you mentioned mentorship and Hunter Fisher. Is JB a more of a hunter or more of no, a no. fisher? There's no, there's no fisherman in him at all. Yeah, he'd be the guy that we wouldn't want to do surveillance. Yeah, he'd be taking heat, he'd be burned, he'd be coming back to the office asking for a new vehicle. 
a change of clothes. You know, he's more bad boys, less. Yeah, 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 yeah. You don't have any surveillance in you. I mean, hey, that's a good thing. Like, you know, I, I love, I love good aggressive uh, investigative techniques. Uh, on, a, on a more serious note, to that though, is in in the years you've been in in the risk management industry as a bit of a mentor, is there, you know, a preferred archetype, whether it is that hunter or fisher. I know we touched on that a bit, but is does one always seem to be more successful in the industry than the other? Absolutely. Um, it's it's that hunter that typically sees it uh, into the career for long term. And simply, I think, and this is only my only my own personal opinion, I, I personally think that it's that way because if you're going to be good in this industry, you don't just have to be a good investigator, but you also have to be a good case manager. And so a client, a law firm is going to give you a budget, right? So it's not just you got to go out and do investigation. Now you are managing that file, right? So you've got a budget, you know, you've got to keep track of that budget. You've got to spend it wisely. You've got to be innovative. You've got to be curious. You've got to really be persuasive. I've had people come up and say, no, I'm not going to do an interview with you. Right. Mm -hmm. And so in the insurance world, I love it because if you've put a policy in or sorry, if you've if you put a claim in against your insurer that assigned your policy and the fact that you're in a policy agreement with the insurer, it kind of summons your your responsibility to cooperate with the investigation. If if people say to me in an insurance investigation, well, I'm not I'm not speaking with you. Well, OK, I'll, I'll keep the investigation open for 30 days and. You know, at the end of that period, it's going back to the insurance company, uh, you know, with, with me having to say that we couldn't get your cooperation. And there is no claim after that, right? So, but on the corporate side of it, yes, you definitely have to uh, have that persuasive uh, personality. You have to be somewhat aggressive. You have to know when to turn that aggression on, but also know when to take a back seat, especially in forensic interviewing. And uh, so I think people typically get into the industry, come in through surveillance. And some people are like, you know what, this is all I want to do. And, and they stay there. And that's unfortunate because that's kind of the lower end of the, 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 the pay scale, if you will, right? Uh, you can do great in surveillance. I'm not saying that there's nothing that you can't do good there. But, you know, for me, I like more of the, you know, substance and meat on the bone and, and digging down and doing a true audit. And uh, if you're going to make that a long-term um, career, I would strongly suggest you become more adaptable and you, you look... As surveillance as that entry point and become a little bit more flexible so that you you can you know I, I still have a good taste in my mouth for surveillance and and we do we do both right we, we flip back and forth some some clients strictly want a surveillance some some will come to us and say I need a full audit of financials or an audit of, of whatnot so um, but being versatile essentially versatile and, and inquisitive and, when, and a Glock and everybody's Glock. You need that Glock. You heard it here you first time, Mason. <laughs> and when, when, you, when you say surveillance, yeah. okay, that triggers me that you're sitting in a car smoking cigarettes, flicking butts out the window, mm -hmm. watching the guy walk into his apartment building. Is that surveillance? Uh, no. <laughs> okay, so the, so the movies have taught me wrong, surveillance wrong. Yeah, no. Yeah. Surveillance is the person on your block in a... A vehicle that is blending in with the local vehicles that you don't even recognize is there. If you're truly doing good surveillance, um, you're unrecognizable. 
we, you know, our company teaches a surveillance course to our own uh, surveillance operatives and, you know, we teach them to dress plain. We don't go out in, you know, a Maple mm-hmm. Leafs, God forbid, a Maple Leafs, Jersey. you know, or, or anything that has, uh, you know, identifiable, recognizable uh, logos. We, we wear simple gray, you know, just, just blend in. You want to blend in and, and if you're getting noticed in surveillance, you're doing it wrong. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, if you're flicking butts out the window, mm-hmm. you're definitely going to get noticed. Because <laughs> if you're sitting outside my house in, in Okotoks, <laughs> flipping, flicking butts on my front lawn, I'm definitely going to notice you. You are, hey? Yeah, I'm going to call the police. <laughs> yeah. And your client is not going to like you. <laughs> so, yeah, no, we do surveillance and we don't typically do it that close either. We're like, you know, a block or two away. And, yeah. and uh, it, it's, an, it's interesting because there's so many different techniques to doing it good. But I would... To sum up your question, I would say a good surveillance investigator is sitting on surveillance, minding their business, going under the radar, you know, blending in with their environment. That is rule number one. But they're also working on an SIU assignment on the computer and, huh. and you know, doing other, you know, multitasking. And honestly, I think that's really truly how I, you know, was very fortunate enough to, to develop into uh, special investigations and then eventually take on my own company was, you know, I would actually be multifaceted in our business and, and I did surveillance, but I'd also take on a, a, a larger claim, like a, an actual investigation where it required me doing statements and I would be sitting on surveillance, taking statements on the phone and whatnot. As long as it's not distracting from your observations and go yep. for it. Yeah. Super cool. It's, it's a perception, right? Like, yeah. like something like this is, uh, we we've gotten to talk to a lot of uh, special forces guys and, and yep. men, uh, police uh, law enforcement as well, and it's just the perception of what it is. You know, mm-hmm. the movies blow everything out of proportion. <laughs> oh, sure. You know, we're not putting yeah. the Glock. No, Tyler doesn't have a Glock in his pocket. <laughs> uh, but it, it, it's just that in business, right? The perception <laughs> yeah. of everything. Yeah. Who can you trust? You know, right. what is a trustworthy person or an entity? Yeah. Yeah. And you know where. How can you find those yep. uh, qualities in those people with without getting to know them or without communicating or without Absolutely. you know maybe having to go as yep. far and take those steps to to em- employ somebody like you guys as consultants? Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. There's there's so many different lines of <laughs> risk mitigation and risk management techniques, and from surveillance to investigation to due diligence. We do due diligence for investors and VC capital and and whatnot. Um, and, and, and we also help, uh, you know, private businesses or citizens that may be at a risk, especially very successful CEOs. And so, you know, doing that kind of bodyguard type of work or VIP protection, um, where you're doing counter surveillance, you're paid to escort them from point A to point B. They may have a threat against them. We've done some fairly high profile cases where, you know, we're, we're protecting from a threat. And so now your surveillance uh, mode is reversed and you're now doing counter surveillance or, you know, uh, very close uh, protection details. So it's super interesting. And, you know, as, as um, you know, manager of the business, you're looking at different talents come in and where, where you can piece them on the board, right? Like chess, so you're, you're looking at where you can utilize them. And hopefully, hopefully um, they're more like knights and rooks and not pawns. You can move them laterally and, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, use them in a greater aspect and just straight old surveillance so yeah very cool super yeah. so so with that being said if you can answer this i guess 
how common is you know having surveillance or counter surveillance in the you know the normal world outside of like secret service president level of of protection like is it way more common than everybody thinks yeah i for me it's common because i i work in that industry yeah. i would think or i should say i, I would bet it is it, you know if i was to you know, I, I mean, if we took a poll of the average joe on the street i think um people would be surprised at how often you get called to come in and do um you know protection detail protective detail on a ceo um I, I can think of several over my career that involved organized crime, right? Mm -hmm. uh, a threat, somebody took a, an investment from, you know, an investor who they didn't realize was tied in with, you know, other, other people and for whatever reasons, agreements fell apart and now they have the threat of, uh, you know, that coming after them. And uh, that seems to be primarily, you know, the, the issue when we do get a call, it's either, you know, somebody's threatening them or trying to extort them or what have you. Otherwise, why would you be there, right? right. Why, why would a wealthy CEO need us to drive them and their family around and open doors for them, right? Um, very, very seldom do you ever get somebody wanting just to do that for show. Mm -hmm. I actually, I, I've had that happen once in my career where it was, you know, somebody that just, I think they had a, a credible threat against them and uh, probably still do to this day, unfortunately, but yeah, they, they simply got off too much on, on our presence with them. Mm -hmm. And uh, unfortunately, that, had, that relationship had to be terminated. Because mm -hmm. again, going back to surveillance, like we do our best work when you don't know that we're there. Yeah. Right? And so companies and businesses and CEOs don't hire us to show us off. It's they have a true threat. And we're mm -hmm. there to take it serious. And yeah, they're, they're scared. To, yeah, they're, absolutely. Exactly. They are truly scared and, and they, they want some sort of you know security uh, in their movements and, and they they have to go about their business right so. so in your business does where where does where does emotions versus uh you know thought process versus uh maybe instinct come into play yeah i would say instinct thought process emotions okay uh, yeah, yeah. I, I think emotions in this line of work is you suppress it yeah you, you know you're again going back to <clears throat> when I was you know, on a, a volunteer fire department, I, I think you just learned that, you know, we would go to motor vehicle collisions and, and use jaws of life and, and extricate people out of vehicles and uh, hold C-spine on people that died in your hands, mm -hmm. like literally died in your hands. And you go back to the fire hall and you're, I remember a couple instances where I would see the fellow firefighters joking around and they call it black humor. I didn't know what black humor was and I would be like, wait a minute. I'm still reeling from what happened, right? And these guys are like, you know, kind of joking around as if it was just an ordinary day. And then I realized, okay, you know, after being mentored and coached, it was like, okay, no, you have to, you know, use black humor, get through the day, get mm -hmm. through the moment, and then you do a debrief and you go through counseling and et cetera. Et cetera. So I learned at a very early age in, in risk management to suppress those emotions. And uh, I think once you can do that, you can then think clearer, you've got, a better analogy you've got a better uh, critical thinking mechanism operating and I think your instincts kick in better as well mm -hmm. but if you I have seen and, and I will admit that in my career of private investigating I have had emotions come into play in an investigation whether it's you know child sex trafficking or you know I can think of a few higher profile investigations where 
Yeah, absolutely. Your your emotions, because uh, we're human, they do tend to rise, and uh, you know even down to more simpler examples of you know corporate fraud uh, investigation where you know you have the goods, you know you have the the evidence against the person, but all of a sudden your client and you know and the uh, defendant go into mediation and you're like, what? <laughs> I just I put all, all this work into this, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, and, and you, you, you're just, we're human, so emotions do uh, tend to, uh, can get the best of you, but a good investigator, a good investigation, especially in forensic interviewing, is best done with, with those emotions on the back burner and you, I'm not saying not use them, use them to your advantage, use them strategically, yeah. but learn to control them. Mm-hmm. I think we all have emotions, but mm-hmm. and I'm an emotional person myself. But I think learning to control them, and I'm I'm forever a student of learning to control my emotions. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's a good question actually. I what, think uh, the sound of like, have you guys watched the sound of freedom? I just yet? watched it. Just watched it. Was then I heard amazing things about it. Amazing show, dude. I was yeah, yeah, I'll have to watch but, it. But but at the same in the same breath, totally yeah. disgusting. Yeah, like, totally yeah. disgusting. But yeah, absolutely amazing. And of course, it just kind of touched on. For me, so recently after, you know, um, you know, working up in Yellowknife and the work that we've been doing up there with other businesses and, of course, this summer working with a nonprofit up there with, uh, you know, underhoused youth and, and high at-risk youth uh, that we were working with and got yeah. evacuated from it. You, you right. kind of know the story, right, from my, from my summer. It's been a wild summer. Totally um, wild summer. Yeah, and, and working with that demographic and those those uh, vulnerable people, those vulnerable youth, and seeing you know what's what's happening there, and then to, to watch something like that, it, it just like really pulls it home for you, right? For for the yeah. what what we're referring to, everybody is Tyler lives up in Yellowknife, and we all know about the fires happening up in Yellowknife, and he got evacuated, and he thought it was going to be for a day or two or a week, but it turned <laughs> out to be. Six months was, now. Was not a day. Was not a week. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I split my time between Calgary and, and uh, Yellowknife, and and uh, I never thought I would ever go up there. I never thought I'd ever do business. I, I never dreamed I had the opportunity to um, work up there. Started two years ago, and uh, it started through a, a joint venture, as I mentioned earlier, and and just exited that joint venture and became an uh, an LP, a limited partnership. And ever since then, the opportunity has always been up there. It's a very small community, very small area, and you know your reputation can be made uh, or broke overnight. So mm. very delicate. Um, people will watch and observe quite a while before they'll work with you, right? So. But you know, kudos to you for for you know just jumping on the jumping on the grenade. I'll call it and taking on yeah. these you know these youth who are very highly vulnerable. Oh, absolutely. absolutely. And, you know, you just kind of take the bull by the horns. Yeah. I, I, mm-hmm. yeah, no, it was... Yeah, that's fantastic. I would say this this, uh, this summer has been super uh, enlightening for me. Life-changing. Rewarding? Yeah, very rewarding, absolutely. I, I, you know, wasn't local here to Calgary as much as I'd want to be or any of our other areas. And, you know, I probably suffered a little bit there. Thankfully, we have a good team and uh, great... Uh, relationships with our consultants who work with us as limited partners so I could trust them and rely on them to to do the work you know when when I'm not local but yeah the work that's up there is absolutely that's that's where my heart is you know even when I'm here I I I just long for the day that I go back and and working with that demographic and those 
vulnerable people. So, like I said, going back to my entrance into this line of work with firefighting and, and EMS, right? It's you truly want to help somebody. You see the need, you see their vulnerabilities, and the responsibility that is there when they're vulnerable is through the roof, right? Yeah. Like you know, and so to be a, a contractor that is selected to, to work in that type of environment is is a huge um, for me. It's a huge compliment that somebody has the faith in you to, to work in that for sure. And uh, so that was a contract that we had uh, done for the last you know since June or July of this year, and very rewarding, very rewarding. Not necessarily on the financial side is what I'm talking about, but to, you know, to work with youth that, you know, without saying too much or disclosing too much information, you know, eventually I became a mentor to one of the youth uh, in that program and, and uh, yeah, absolutely life-changing. So yeah, great for yeah, you. Pretty cool. Very cool. Awesome. Um, the one thing I'm always curious about, and you mentioned with emotional suppression, what strategies do you use to you know, deal with that after the fact. Jason and me were big meditation guys, journaling. Like, yeah. what what do you use as those strategies to help with that? Oh yeah, I would say like, I don't know if I'm a meditator per se. Like, yeah, I don't even know like what meditation. Like, I've never done it. Like on a, let's call you guys the professionals. <laughs> I don't know how you meditate. For for me, like, I get out into nature. I'm a I'm a huge outdoorsman. Uh, I'm. Actually, I uh, self-admittedly just got off a snowmobile like two hours before I came here. <laughs> nice. <laughs> but I, I get out into the woods. I'm a hunter. Yeah. Um, I fish. I camp. I golf. I, I have a ton of sports, whether it's motorcycle, uh, riding, or snowmobiling. And so nature for me is, is kind of my meditation, getting away. I'm, I'm a bit, um, I would say I'm a bit of a loner. I, I, I you know, I'm probably a, classified as an introvert. I I don't uh, really need the stimulation of, you know, a lot of, uh, you know, social uh, stimuli. I, I like it. I enjoy it, but for short spurts. Mm. So for me, it's, you know, when I am done business meetings and done work for the week, typically I'm in the mountains or camping somewhere if, if it's you know, a long weekend for sure. So, but I think that's a mechanism that everybody needs to figure out for themselves. Yeah, Absolutely. no, for sure. Nature comes up often within yeah. Huge. Uh, our yeah. group as to how you, yeah. how people are released, so. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and, and like I say, those those emotions, I think in this line of work, you don't realize that they're creeping up. You don't realize, I think we all have a reserve in our soul to, to handle so much. I actually read this, it's a, it's a bit of a you know phenomenon, but essentially it, it's called overtopping. And the person telling the story, uh, his name is Ken Gurley. He gave this example of of a dam that was that was wiped out, and 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 this is an actual disaster that happened in the states, where you know something like Hurricane Katrina type of thing, right? Like it was a huge flood, the dams gave way, the city was wiped out, and he talks about overtopping of that dam, and essentially um, that overtopping. You know the the spillage of the the top of the dam, right? He eroded the other side of the dam, and he essentially gave way to, to bursting. And emotions is is very similar in that same aspect, where you'll see somebody that is in control of their emotions, and there's an outburst. And I I always go back to that analogy of that that dam and that storm in the states, right? That he was referring to, of the overtopping of emotions. And I think for me, continually learning that 
to recognize when I'm starting to overtop, when I'm when my dam, when my emotional reservoir is full, <clears throat> and uh, it, I can feel it spilling out over the top, so to speak. Uh-huh. It's time to unplug. Mm-hmm. It, and I'll be honest with you, after this summer of being up at Yellowknife and spending the majority of my year up there, coming home, I came home here for three weeks. I visited family in Ontario and traveled, and I didn't really realize how overtopping I, you know, I was overtopped. Yeah. <laughs> I Yeah, I was, uh, you know, not necessarily at my breaking point, but I mean, I was exhausted physically, mentally, uh, in every aspect. And um, I, it was a good reminder for me never to let myself get to that point again. Yeah, good yeah. for you. Yeah. yeah. I definitely could see that in that yeah. type of work. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you're talking through the evacuation, like I was yeah. work. I, we were doing risk management work um, at a camp for the same client, and then eventually had to evacuate that that wilderness camp and went to Yellowknife, and three days later evacuated from Yellowknife with that same client and, and uh, went to high level and eventually was there for you know several weeks and then went back to Yellowknife with, with the same client after the evacuation was lifted. So you know, you're talking several weeks, days uh, without time off, and you're dealing with heavy, heavy, heavy situations, right? Yeah. So yeah, emotions can, can creep in, and we saw that this summer where, you know, in our own staff and client staff, essentially you're 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 always looking out for each other, and, and as you get to know your colleague or your your client, right, you're you're kind of you know watching, engaging where their emotional level is, right. And so yeah, I truly think that a, a huge um, benefit in this industry, if if you were to get into it with your Glock, is to bring on a good uh, self awareness, a self awareness, and 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 uh, be able to manage that. Super cool. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. I think that's as powerful a way to end the podcast as uh, Yeah, as I love any. it. That's so um, super cool. Tyler, where can the Hive Nation connect with you? Uh, they can connect with me on LinkedIn. I'm, I'm fairly active on LinkedIn, Twitter. Um, those are my two socials that I am, you know, fairly active on, and, and I try not to be a Neanderthal, so I, I, I get back to people, I, I hope, uh, in a good, timely fashion, but... Uh, also what, what is what is it? Cool guy Tyler. What, what's your what's your handle? Uh, at on LinkedIn or sorry on Twitter. Uh, what is it? I think it's just at Tyler Argue or okay. Argue Tyler. I think it, yeah. I think if you type in Tyler Argue in Twitter, you're gonna find me fairly easy. Okay. Or our website WestbridgeCanada.com. I'm I'm on there, and then my email, my cell phone, and emails on there. Okay. Yeah. So awesome. Awesome. Tyler, awesome. thanks for joining Man, us. Thanks for being on the Hive uh, Nation podcast. You bet. Appreciate it. Hive Nation. We're out.